2: Tulshu. Recorded live.
0: A U N. American Underground Network.
3: The primary reason why the individual citizens of a country create a political structure is a subconscious wish or desire. To perpetuate their own dependency relationship of childhood. Simply put, they want a human God to eliminate all risk from their life, pat them on the head, kiss their bruises, put a chicken on every dinner table, clothe their bodies, tuck them into bed at night, and tell them that everything will be alright when they wake up in the morning. This public demand is incredible. So the human God, the politician, meets incredibility with incredibility by promising the world and delivering nothing. So who is the bigger liar? The public or the godfather?
1: All revolutions have been led by young people. If you just think of the TV images of whether it's Tiananmen Square or whether it's the uh, revolts in Central America or Europe the young people, it's the college people who are more principled and not locked in and they're not embedded with the government. They are the ones who are concerned about the future because the future is theirs.
3: My research has shown at this point that the future laid out for us may be just about impossible to change. I do not agree with the means by which the powerful few have chosen for us to reach the end. I do not agree that the end is where we should end at all. But unless we can wake the people from their sleep, nothing short of civil war will stop the planned outcome.
2: It's the National Collective Consciousness Show with Dee Dee Carroll in Portland, Oregon, Jim Condit Jr. in Cincinnati, Ohio, Steve Harris in Charlotte, North Carolina. Now, live from Evanston, Illinois, your host, <clears throat> Fred Smart.
1: Hey, thanks, everyone. Uh, We are very lucky and blessed to have uh, Jim Fetzer back on our call tonight. He has presented on this call more than a few times, and uh, he's just released a book that puts so many things together. Uh, The act of presenting this and and the collective act of receiving what he has to present tonight is definitely going to be, one that you will not want to miss and you'll want to go back to and listen and share the archive of this fall. This is week 403. I imagine, even uh, with Jim Fetzer, is, is sort of like uh, getting inside, uh, hopping on a bull right before the gate opens up and you got to hold on pretty tight. But uh, another image came to me, it's sort of like surfing. We have these massive waves of corruption, waves of truth that are washing over uh, corruption in our world. And Jim Fetzer seems to be a master at surfing these waves. Uh, massive amounts of information have to be distilled, documented, deciphered, laid out, articulated, and then presented. And we are so blessed to have Jim on the call tonight to uh, give us a taste of this new book. that's out right now today and uh as you can see uh you know these major items that we've all kind of had in the background uh that we did not go to the moon that paul was replaced that uh well i won't go on and on but these are major major life type of archetypes from our historical knowledge in our in our in our lexicon of understanding that is completely uh at the threshold of being exposed and opened up, and his book is is there to do that. So, Jim, thank you for coming on the call tonight, and uh, really appreciate uh, everything you do. Now, you've got some people who have been behind the scenes helping you out with this, and I'm sure so many people deserve credit. So why don't you go ahead and, and, and begin? Thanks, Jim, for coming. Well,
4: listening, listening to that very literary uh, introduction made me think that while well, I've used the Beatles for my theme music in the past before my show went video, maybe I should have been using the Beach Boys s- surfing those. Giant <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. boys. <laughs> very, very funny. Very, very funny. But like the others present here, you know, I've been virtually a lifelong Beatles fan. When I returned from uh, 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 13 months in the Far East, and then that would have been in. Uh, 1966, my uh-huh. my stepmother told me how my sister was a, you know, a Beatle, you know, she was a, a Beatle maniac, and I really hadn't put the pieces together and understood what what this all meant to the United States, but it was actually, no, it was 64, I'm talking about coming back in 64, June of 64, and of course yep. JFK had died in, in November of 63, and I do believe the British invasion, in particular the Beatles, had a whole lot to do with reviving a despondent nation from a state of despair and emotional uh drought to revive our spirits which actually i've written was parallel to what happened to me after my mother died when i was 11 and went from living with my mother and stepfather to living with my father and stepmother and out in the the back room which i can i'd actually designed the plan to convert a screened-in porch to uh, to a uh, a boys' room with Naughty Pine and built-in bunk beds and with a little shelf above my head where I lay in bed. And I had a little radio, and I used to listen to Lucky Lager Dance Time, which my stepmother referred to as my beer hour. But it was listening to (laughs) Shaboom and Smoke Gets in Your Eyes and Sincerely and all that that drew me out of my emotional despondency. So when I see the way the nation responded to the Beatles, I understand, I think, what was going on there. I'd rather profound psychological level so you know I I just love the Beatles and uh, uh, Paul's birthday will be next week I'm going to be featuring a British scholar who has a new book about this uh, and who contributed a chapter here Nicholas Kullerstrom and if I can put it together I had done a tribute to the Beatles on my radio show where I picked out all my favorite uh, Beatles songs and uh, that was all audio now that i'm video i have a follower of mine who expressed such enthusiasm for for my work that he actually has put together videos of all of the beatles singing those very same songs so i'm going to try to put together a video version of my past tribute to the beatles which was back in oh something like 2012 so we'll see what we'll see what happens here this book uh, actually, I think it's rather sensational. All the pieces fell together. Mike Pelichak had the insp- ins- inspiration uh, with the title and for the series, in which it's the, the second in the series, known as Save the World, Resist the Empire, where the first was the dynamic duo White Rose Blooms in Wisconsin, which he actually focused on me and Kevin Barrett. We had a radio show then called The Dynamic Duo on GCN. Mm-hmm. I offered mm-hmm. a seven days, uh, I mean five days a week, but I only wanted to do Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday so I could have time with my family. So I offered Kevin Monday and Friday. And we were, you know, called it The Dynamic Duo when I talked about how you can catch the boy wonder. You know, I'm here uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and you can catch the boy wonder on Mondays and Fridays. And Mike had picked up on that theme of the dynamic duo and did a book about us. It was huge. It was like the size of a phone book. I don't mean a small wow. phone book. Yeah, a huge book. Oversized pages. And I knew that was a bad idea. I mean, it's awkward. You can't even carry it around. We wanted an ordinary six-by-nine book, and I have edited so many books that I have a very specific kind of structure I impose on a book. It's got a... It's got a prologue. It's got an epilogue. The prologue tells you what's coming. I front-load books so that I I make all basic arguments in the prologue. So when you read the rest of the book, you're really filling in all the details and substantiating the points I've made in the book, which is true of this book, as with many of the others. My JFK books in particular, Fred, I Mm -hmm. would have a prologue that surveyed, you know, the major issues in the case of Murder in Dealey Plaza – published in 2000, for example, I had 16 smoking guns in the prologue. So in the prologue, I went through and gave 16 decisive proofs refuting the official account of JFK, and then you had all this wonderful stuff coming in the actual order of the book, and then it closed with an epilogue, uh, an essay about uh, 16 questions for the Warren Commission that Bertrand Russell, uh, the great British philosopher, had published before the Warren Commission had even finished, including the question is, why was there no chapter to ask the question, who shot Kennedy? Yeah. Okay. So I've done that with this book. uh,
3: Okay, so so
1: the Beatles, Beatles, it's been making the rounds over the last month or two months on the Internet. I think your book basically must have stirred the drink here. It's all over the Internet.
4: Well, I think it actually came a little before the book, because uh, I did, uh, I've done a couple of shows about the Beatles. I was laying out yeah. some of the evidence that seems to have made a difference, and now the book is really pushing it into high gear. So I think that uh, the book is making a major difference here. I had an article, you see, on Veterans Today about two months ago entitled Why Ringo's Confession, We Replace Paul, Appears to be Authentic. Uh, and uh, Kevin Barrett, uh, took exception to that. I mean, even though we do this false flag weekly news every Thursday, we just did it this morning, for example, mm-hmm. he was attacking me for it. He wound up inviting me to come on his radio show, a two hour radio show and invited someone else to come on uh, whose name I have suppressed, but a re- very nasty guy who was, you know, trying to ridicule all the points I was making about the evidence. But I think it's that, it was that article, Fred, and probably the debate that followed on Kevin's that really stirred up the pot because this is a sort of thing that's never really been presented to anything even remotely mainstream. I mean, we're alternative media, but as alternative media go, Veterans Today at the time was very close to the top, and the fact is, it's been quite bizarre in the months that followed because when I wanted to do the work on Jade Helm, about which you've heard me explain before. The senior editor took me out of Veterans Today, and it, he demolished, uh, you know, uh, all 150 of my articles. Well, believe it or not, Kevin told me that last week the editorial board had voted to republish to re- all of my articles. And I, and, I, and I told Kevin, well, if that were true, that I'd take him out to lunch. It, it hasn't happened yet, but I have had confirmation because I was sent a, a login from the general manager and I wrote back asking whether this meant that my articles were going to be restored. And he wrote back, giving me my old login when I was a regular member of VT, which, of course, I am no longer, nor will I be in the future. I'm now a Veterans Truth Network. Uh, but he told me they'd all be restored within the next five working days. So maybe there's some success there.
1: Okay.
4: I- I hear some kitchen activity in the background. Right? Yeah, uh, yeah.
0: Somebody, it, is in the kitchen? It Please view your phone. Yeah, it stopped, so I didn't mute uh who we okay. know it is.
4: <laughs> okay. Fair enough, right. fair enough. But let, let me give you kind of an overview, then I'll go wherever you want to go, because I'm very flexible about this. I've done at least a half an hour uh, half a dozen two hour interviews about the book uh, now and the recent history they're getting out. I did one with rents, I did one with Red Ice radio with Oli Domegaard, I've done with uh, Mark Windows of the UK. Uh, I've done uh, others that are coming out or about to come out. And I think it's going to keep the the book uh, moving because there's so much here. I mean, there's something here for everyone. I can't imagine a person in the world who wouldn't be hooked by one or another of these issues. I mean, the moon landing, right? I mean, that was sold to us as a great triumph of American science and engineering after the nation had been humiliated by the the Soviet Union launching Sputnik, which was the first satellite in space. So there appeared to be a space gap. We needed a space race. JFK declared we put a man on the moon by the end of the century. It turned out to be, uh, you know, physically and scientifically impossible to do it. Now, I think this is a case where had JFK been still present and informed of the insurmountable obstacles such as the Van Allen radiation belt, which, interestingly, just two years ago, NASA itself announces the principal obstacle to having a manned mission to Mars, the Van Allen radiation belt, which, however, has been here since the creation of Earth approximately 4.5 billion years ago. So it certainly was here in the late 1960s when allegedly we were making all these trips, manned trips to the moon that also have to pass through the Van Allen radiation belt. So if they're now acknowledging we couldn't go to the the principal reason we can't go to Mars is the Van Allen radiation belt. It's not that this is something that's just popped up recently and didn't affect our trip to the to to the moon. Uh, we we appear to be in the scenario or to have been subjected to the scenario Capricorn One. Some of you may have seen. It's a wonderful film about faking a trip to Mars. Uh, We don't actually go there, but they're using a grainy feed through a single source to create the impression. It's a really excellent movie, Elliot Gould and and O.J. Simpson before his disgrace and uh, the fellow who married uh, Barbara Streisand. You know, these are the key actors, and it was extremely well done, but also very revealing if you actually understood about the, the moon landing hoax, which appears, by the way, to have been perpetrated by Stanley Kubrick in return for financing for his magnificent Opus uh, Space Odyssey 2001. Jay Wiedner is a contributor here who has a wonderful chapter about uh, the the parallax experiments that reveal that this was done using what's known as front screen projection. One sign of which is that the background is just as well defined and in focus as the foreground which of course is an optical impossibility with any real uh, actual filming. Uh, In fact, the whole existence of the moon photos is quite bizarre, uh, I think, for all kinds of reasons. I mean, some of the more innocuous are that we have a staggering number of these photographs, and they're all wonderfully framed. I mean, the cameras were mounted on the outside of the spacesuits. They didn't have any way to focus them. All they could do is turn and click, and yet you got Photographed after photograph after photograph, perfectly framed, perfectly focused, all from the moon, using this very awkward method of photography. Uh, Jack White, who is a legendary JFK researcher, expert on photos and films with whom I collaborated, he was one of my strongest allies in in collaborative research, has a whole website about the Apollo moon photographs that you can find online that you ought to look at if you have any questions, because he discovered all kinds of anomalies. you got moon rovers with no tracks before, no tracks behind, and no tracks in the middle. I mean, how did the moon rover get to that location? (laughs) I mean, you've got this very famous photograph of the moon lander, and it's sitting there, but there's no uh, disruption of the dust beneath it, which would have been blown away by the jet thrusters as it landed. There's not any dust on the pods even. In a photograph that I only learned of after we published the book, there's another where you see the moon lander with the moon rover you know, engorged inside of it because it's not been taken out and assembled yet, and yet you have moon rover tracks right there beside the moon lander, even though the moon rover isn't actually out and about yet. So, I mean, all these kinds of things. You have shadows in different directions when they use a source of light, that was much too close to be the sun. I mean, the sun is so distant that uh, any shadows would all be cast essentially in parallel lines. But here you have wildly divergent lines of shadows cast because they're using a light source on the edge of the set. So it casts light, you know, that was going, created shadows going in disparate directions. You have the The flag in a moon photograph, but the flag, everything else is casting a shadow, but the flag isn't casting a shadow. The flag's on a pole. It ought to be casting a shadow, but there's no shadow there, suggesting that was even photoshopped into the photograph. Here's a wonderful argument Jack White made. He he did a simple uh, method of addition. You wouldn't think addition would be threatening to NASA's claims to have gone to the moon, but here's how he did it. He took the number of photographs that were taken on the different, the six different missions, 11, 12, 14, 15, 16, and 17. Uh, he took the amount of time that was spent on the moon, and he, he added up the number of photographs. And get this, uh, the agency wants to believe that 5,771 photographs were taken in 4,834 minutes. If nothing but photography had been done, such a feat is clearly impossible made even more so by all the documented activities of the astronauts. Imagine, 1.19 photos every minute when men were on the moon, that's one picture every 50 seconds. I mean, this is ridiculous. This is just a simple argument from the purely quantitative consideration. So, you know, you put those together with all the beautifully framed photographs, but laden with all these anomalies, and you begin to get the picture that something doesn't add up. Uh, I also actually believe it would have been impossible to take any photographs on the moon because the cosmic rays would have interacted with the photographic plates and made it impossible. But there's just reason after reason after reason, including, of course, that NASA itself has admitted that uh, uh, having a manned mission to Mars would be uh, the biggest obstacle is the Van Allen radiation belt. Here's something else. The, the strongest evidence that we went to the moon, uh, presumably, is the moon rocks. Well, mm-hmm. many people are unaware that, that Werner von Braun, who we brought over to enter the American government, uh, along with many other Nazi scientists and intelligence officers, uh, conducted an expedition to the Antarctic during the local summer of 1966-67, which appears to have included gathering lunar rocks that had been dislodged from the moon's surface by the impact of asteroids and captured by the Earth's gravitational field, which means that bona fide moon rocks could be produced, but which had reached Earth, uh, not reached Earth via the Apollo missions. I mean, this is all very cleverly designed. When he was first asked about a mission to the moon, he designed a spacecraft That was three times larger than the Empire State Building, and we said we'd need two or three of these in order to make it feasible to go to the moon. Well, you figure it out. I've got wonderful, four wonderful articles about it, and uh, I think you're going to have a real hard time coping with the evidence if you want to continue to believe that we went to the moon. I mean, it all appears to have been staged for theatrical reasons. I started to explain that if JFK had still been president once he understood the insuperable obstacles, he would have called off the whole project just as had he been informed that the Soviets had learned the date of our invasion and informed Castro that he, so he knew exactly when the Bay of Pigs would take place. Everyone knew Castro, the Soviets, the American intelligence apparatus all knew about this. Everyone except the commander in chief who undoubtedly would have called it off under those circumstances.
1: Well, uh, Jim, take us home, McCartney where we're, yeah, now, I, I, the,
4: thing, the Paul thing is really fascinating. It's been an underground cultural phenomenon, you know, uh, for those who are invested in the Beatles. It's usually been discussed under the the acronym PID, Paul is Dead, as though it were a secret, But where they would cite many, many clues. You play this record backward, it says Paul is dead. He's referred to as the walrus, a sign of death. I mean, you go on and on and on, there are all these clues but there's never actually a marshalling of decisive evidence one way or another. Well, I had a, an associate whom I invited to speak in the Vancouver when I organized the Vancouver hearings in 2012. Uh, Judy Wood refused to take my calls. John Hutchison agreed to speak, and then Judy talked him out of it. So I invited Claire Coon, who had been a close follower of Judy's work, to speak in her place. Claire turns out to have a blog about Paula's death. And that blog includes even a doodle attributed to John Lennon that shows someone who's got their skull split open and their brain spilling out, which he has been inclined to believe was a sketch of Paul, you know, after his death. Uh, I'm not convinced that's the case for reasons I will explain. But uh, over the years, uh, I even interviewed Claire on my then audio radio show, The Real Deal on Revere net And, she would give you know, a lot of the reasons why she believed Paul had died and been replaced, but I was always very focused on the forensic evidence. I, I was never quite convinced we really were talking about two different people until I discovered that Wired Italia, which is the Italian version of Wired magazine, in 2009 had published an article by two Italian forensic scientists who had set off to prove that the Paul McCartney before 1966 and the Paul McCartney after 1966 were the same person and wound up proving precisely the opposite. They took photographs of them singing when their mouths were open. They compared their teeth and their palates. It turns out Paul, as opposed to Fall, F-A-U-L, which is the common designation for false Paul or his replacement, Paul had bad teeth and a narrow palate. Fall had good teeth and a broad palate. You compare their skulls, Paul's is very round. He has this very youthful, cherubic look. Uh, The fall has a more oblong, more mature, not quite sinister, but is slightly non-cherubic look, so their skulls are not the same. Uh, Their ears are different. Ears are as distinctive as fingerprints. There's a whole lot about it that I published in that article in Veterans Today that disappeared along with 150 others, but I've now restored it. I found that another website had published it in toto. So I was able to republish it on my own website at jamesfetzer.blogspot.com and on veteranstruthnetwork.com. So you can find it, those places, this original article that I think actually led to the re- re- reinvigoration of the PID movement because I was presenting all the forensic evidence. You know, I put there photographs uh uh, showing the differences between them right in the article. And that was part of why I believe that Ringo's confession, where he said, we replaced Paul, you know, he died in this accident. We didn't know what to do. What about the band, Ringo asked, where Brian Epstein, who was their manager, suggested that they try out a replacement and see what happened. The key dates <clears throat> for understanding all of this turn out to be September 11th, oddly enough, and because sometimes it's written 9-11, uh, 66 or 11 9 66. British and American are different. There's been a misinterpretation some t- by some to think they were talking about November the 9th when they actually they're talking about September 11th by odd coincidence. Uh, but of course in 1966 and then the, the following month, October, Brian Epstein declared that the Beatles would no longer tour on the basis of the flimsy excuse that they couldn't hear themselves singing. Well, they didn't know they didn't need to hear themselves singing. <laughs> They knew what they sounded like. It's the adulation of the crowd. You know, virtually every rock group lives on their fans. And that that kind of massive enthusiasm, outpouring of affection, enthusiasm, was just something they, they, they thrived upon. So the idea they were going to no longer tour had a completely different explanation. It would have been too obvious to their fans that this person who was now being presented as Paul wasn't really Paul, including the fact that he's also taller. In fact, the, the replacement was right-handed. Paul was left, so he had to learn to play left-handed. There have been studies done uh, of their their voices, and the voices are not the same. And you'll notice one of the striking features of the Beatles before 9/11 and after 9/11. The Beatles' early music had all these very close harmonics that were really phenomenal, where, where George and Paul and and, and John. Would sing in just absolute exquisite harmony, and often Ringo too, but typically those three. They had no more of those close uh, harmonies after 9 11 for the reason that the fall was incapable of performing those vocal feats, uh, as was Paul. Uh, Ringo even said in his confession, which came from a, a kind of a shell website, so it could be disavowed, you know, claimed to just be manufactured, which was what Kevin Barrett would claim even though I was presenting a lot of reason to think that most of what he was saying here actually was true, uh, included uh, Ringo's observation that his replacement was uh, even, uh, maybe even a better musician than Paul. But the fact of the matter is, you know, there's a, there's a huge, uh, well, many people think there's a very significant difference between the Beatle music before and after. And where Sergeant Pepper actually represents the divide Because when you, you know, having put all the pieces together, I can assure you of the following. Sergeant Pepper is an event at a funeral. And you have the gravesite right in front of you. The earth is all fresh. And spelled out on the grave is the word Beatles. And in the left, you see the four original lads in dark suits just looking on. In the background, you see the resplendent new band, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. And Paul is noticeably taller than he had been in the past. In fact, on the back cover, some of you may have noticed, I I gave a photograph of Paul uh, standing beside Jane Asher, his then-fiancée, and then a photograph beside it of Paul with the same woman, Jane Asher, whose height has not changed, but now Paul is like a half a head taller than Jane, whereas Paul and she were about the same height. So it's really a fascinating story. We have lots of little incidental corroborations. Ringo at a recent musical event asserted on two different occasions he was the last surviving beetle uh people didn't know quite what to make of that when uh, when the the uh story in Wired Italia came out uh Paul made a point of going on David Letterman and they joked about it David was even saying well who replaced Paul and Paul says me I, I'm the I replaced Paul which of course was completely true but which David Letterman didn't understand you know thought he meant that he was the same before as he was after, so he, was, he replaced himself, meaning there had actually not been a replacement, when a- he was indeed actually being candid and saying something true, namely that he was the replacement. So there, 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 there's more to it even than that, and we have wonderful, wonderful chapters about this. Again, four chapters on the moon landing, 100 pages, four chapters on Paul, 100 pages, And the reason why this is so terribly important is the following. I mean, not only is it a fascinating intellectual story, but if you can replace the most public and scrutinized person in the world, as arguably was the case for Paul McCartney, and get away with it, you could replace anyone. And the fact we did that, where I have then two subsequent, you know, a, a subsequent chapter, two chapters on Saddam and two chapters on Osama, Because in both cases, they were replaced. In the case of Saddam, he actually was killed by a B-1 bomber pilot on 7 April 2003. Uh, The bomber pilot, whose name is Chris Wachter, and I learned all this through his mother initially, who contacted me and said that she had a story to tell, and I might not believe it, but it was true, and she could vouch for it, and she told me how he'd been given a special coordinates. He was told this was the big one. He top, dropped two J-damn bombs on a restaurant on the outskirts of Baghdad. When he got back to his base, he was lionized. He was put on CNN. He would be given the Distinguished Flying Cross. Uh, he took out Saddam Hussein, his two brothers, and 50 or 60 members of the general staff. There, even you know, When he first told me this story, I thought, Yvonne, I said, that's a fantastic story. Can you substantiate it? And she started sending me one article, one clip after another, even including a news clip in the New York Times where Dick Cheney, no no less, was quoted as saying, I do think we got Saddam. His lifeless body was pulled out of the rubble and he wasn't breathing. And this was in the wake of that uh, event, the bombing event of April 7th. So they set up the Mission Accomplished celebration on the USS Lincoln where Bush was going to announce that the tyrant has fallen. He actually used those words, but it wasn't at all clear what he meant at the time because he was unable to say that we had taken out Saddam Hussein for the following reason. Three presidents, Reagan, Carter, and Ford, had signed executive orders forbidding the assassination of the leader of a foreign state. So if Bush had flown on to the Lincoln and announced that we had taken out Saddam Hussein, he would have been in violation of the law we believe it was Donald Rumsfeld who'd been around Washington a long time who had put two and two together and realized they couldn't do it. So Chris Walker, interestingly, uh, returned to Orange County, where his parents live, and uh, was feted at the Crystal Cathedral by the Reverend Robert Schiller, who's now deceased, but whose services were so spectacular they were broadcast worldwide. So Yvonne even put me onto the clip where Captain Chris Walker was being feted by the Reverend Robert Schiller at the Crystal Cathedral for having taken out Saddam Hussein. We even got the video clip in one of my articles. Again, that was originally on Veterans Today. We could watch the video clip. And if they restore all my articles, you'll be able to see the video clip again. Now, in the book, of course, we can't play any video clips in the book. So I've got a photograph of his being fed at the Crystal Cathedral. But the day after, obviously, word got back to the Pentagon. They had him fly back to Langley, and told him that while they admired his flying skills, that officially Saddam had gotten away. And they used one of his doubles. They claimed he was found in a spider hole. Uh, they put him on trial, and they hung him. At one point, the Red Cross arranged for Saddam's wife to visit Saddam, and she came out screaming, saying, this is not my husband. This is a double. What have you done with my husband? Which was an embarrassing oh yeah, it was an embarrassing moment. There was an Australian... Investigative journalist, a really admirable guy by the name of Joe Viles, who had pursued this issue, he wrote a story entitled, When is Saddam Not Saddam? He also followed up by detecting that if you study the teeth and the bite, they differ. So just as in the case of Paul versus Fall, there's a distinction between uh, Saddam and his double because Saddam had excellent teeth and an overbite, meaning his upper teeth extended beyond his lower teeth, but his double had terrible teeth and an underbite, meaning his lower teeth extended beyond his upper teeth. I strongly suspect they made a deal with him that if he played along, they'd only fake the hanging and he could wind up sipping Mai Tais in Tahiti, but it would be too risky to have this guy anywhere on the face of the globe. So I think instead of putting that little platform in place when they hung him, they for, they forgot to put it there. Uh, and that's one fascinating story. Another, part is this uh, whole uh, political theater of the raid on the compound in Pakistan by the, the SEAL team. We've had a recent story, by the way, reporting that the SEAL teams are used for assassinations all over the world. So their assignment in this case SEAL Team 6, in particular, write a story right in the New York Times, which if you read it, you might think this is a revelation. The attitude adopted by the writer and the Times editors was that this was a normal or expectable thing to do and very appropriate for the United States to be assassinating people all over the world. In any case, uh, Barack Obama was in political trouble. His birth certificate was the talk of right wing radio. It's clearly fraudulent. I had an expert on for two hours going through it on my radio show. uh... They claimed the tip on uh, Osama's location had come from uh, Guantanamo. So that deflected criticism. He hadn't closed Guantanamo, which really wasn't his fault because the Republicans wouldn't let him do it. But they claimed the tip had come from Guantanamo. Gee, aren't we glad it's still open? He was troop station in, in Pakistan, for which he'd also been severely criticized. Gee, I guess we're glad they're there anyway. And, of course, then uh, position himself for a triumphal re-election for having taken out the most wanted man in the world. The fact of the matter is, however, that Saddam, uh, that Osama bin Laden had nothing to do with nine eleven. He denied having anything to do with it when he was first told about it. He explained it was contrary to the tenets of the Koran to murder innocent women and children, that he was opposed to the stationing of American military troops in Saudi Arabia, the home of Mecca and Medina, the two most holy sites in Islam, but that this appeared to have been done by a government within the government that wanted to blame these atrocities on Muslims, no less an authority than William Jefferson Clinton made a parallel observation. He said, quote, there is a government within the government and I do not control it, end quote. So we know that Osama was right on, on, on the money, The fact of the matter is, Osama was an agent of the CIA. He was known as Colonel uh, Tim Osmond, uh, officially. He was instrumental in getting the Stinger missiles into uh, Afghanistan uh, to, to drive the Soviets out by shooting down so many of their helicopters and planes that they could no longer afford to remain there. A CIA agent visited him in a hospital in Dubai where he was undergoing dialysis treatment not long before his death, which occurred on or about 15 December 2001, in Afghanistan, from his medical maladies. I mean, it's tough to get those dialysis machines in and out of those caves in Afghanistan. He was buried in an unmarked grave in accordance with Muslim tradition. There were local obituaries, believe it or not, even Fox News. Reported his death on 26 December 2001, uh, which you can still find online. But just in case it were to disappear, I made a copy of it and, and published it in the in the book. Uh, just as I did with "When Is Saddam Not Saddam," uh, you know, I put it right in the book. So you can, you know, you've got these things, these documents and records, those all compiled together in the book. Uh, And where David Ray Griffin, for example, who has 10 books about 9-11, has published a book about it, Osama bin Laden, Dead or Alive, Nicholas Kullerstrom, who's the leading expert in the world on the London 7-7 subway bombing attacks, whose book Terror on the Tube is now in its third edition, published an article about it entitled Osama bin Laden, 1957 to 2001, uh, which I included in the book. I mean, we just have a mountain of proof about this, but it was just too politically expedient to resurrect Osama and have him die for a second time for the benefit, the political benefit of Barack Obama. So, you know, we have a lot in here about the first death of Saddam Hussein and the second death of Osama bin Laden. And It really makes these issues about, you know, identity of particular importance. In fact, residents of the community in Pakistan were asked if they'd ever seen Osama bin Laden, and they all reported they had not. And when showed a photograph of this figure in front of a TV with a clicker. They explained that was not Osama bin Laden but the owner of the compound and the whole uh, the whole raid on the compound apparently was a fiasco where the helicopter even crashed inside the compound and i 'm not sure anyone got out alive, but the whole thing was fabricated fake they claimed uh, they photoshopped photographs of a dead Osama claimed they buried him at sea in accordance with Muslim tradition, when of course it 's anything but I mean, the, the crustaceans, uh, fish, uh, sharks will nibble the body. That's uh, not um, displaying respect. That's not a Muslim tradition remotely. And It was all substantiated by a stage photograph of the uh, Obama administration looking at, what a, at a large screen TV. Uh, which was published around the world as them following the event in real time until Leon Panetta, then director of the CIA, observed that there was no live coverage for the first 20 to 25 minutes, which was the entire duration of the event. So the whole thing was simply staged for political purposes. I mean, that's what our government has come to. Jim, what, what um,
1: you're moving along here. i Connecting, I mean, this is really striking for all of us. uh We, we suspected, uh, but like the, this gentleman who was put away for the Boston bombing. I mean, his brother and his brother's identity—the same kind of a thing you're talking about, right? Oh, absolutely.
4: Yeah, both. Uh, we ha- we have a, a, a former CIA agent who has revealed that all of the terrorist attacks since 9/11 were fabricated or faked by the government, principally the FBI. When it comes to the Boston bombing, I have a new article. I mean, my, th- the first thing that Gordon Duff did when he, when he took me out of VT was to eliminate, uh, it appears to me, as many as 40 of my articles, including my four most recent, which I recognized immediately because they were all about the Boston bombing. Each mm-hmm. of them blew the case completely out of the water. So when I recovered from the shock and began publishing again, I published an interview I did with Moret Saranova, who is the uh, the uh, aunt of the boys, who is also an attorney. And I have an interview with her, which you can I, I did on The Real Deal, the video. Uh, we yeah. got it on video. But I also published it on my website on Veterans uh, Truth Network. It's entitled, uh, They Didn't Do It, Rep Saranova Blows Apart the Boston Show Trial. And among the, the points I make there, and I summarize key arguments at the end, uh, I learned from Rett that the, even the photography, the videos of the boys at the Boston Marathon bombing were fake. And I said, can she prove it? And She started sending me photos and other links, including a picture of him lying in bed with his cat where he's got a beard. Uh, this is significant because in the Boston Marathon footage, he's clean shaven. She sent me another video of him and Zoker working out in a gymnasium. He's got a beard. A friend called him after the bombing and was relieved. He was nowhere in the vicinity. They had dinner that night. He had a beard. In the, in the, there's, a, there's a convenience store footage where Zoker's inside, and you can see Tamerlan outside. He's got a beard. In the arrest footage, but the police took him into custody. If you If it's not fuzzied up, and they fuzzied up most of the copies, he's got a beard. Uh, I could have identified him as Tamerlan Saranova but, Saranoff, but it's nice when his aunt and his mother identified him. He was stripped naked and put in a police car. The next thing we know, he winds up dead, and uh, believe it or not, even in the death photograph, he's still got a beard. Uh, here's a second point I make. I mean, his death is allegedly caused by his brother, Joker, who's supposed to have run over him with the SUV that belonged to him. But how is that possible when he died after the police had taken him into custody? Uh, This is one of those cases, Fred, where the American people fall asleep at the switch. He's taken into custody. We see it on television. He's trooped token, put into a police car. The next thing we know, he's dead. And they say his brother did it? How could his brother have done it once he'd been taken into police custody? He couldn't have done it. But Americans are so naive, so gullible, they'll believe anything the government tells them, even the preposterous hypothesis that having been taken into custody, his brother was still able to get a hold of him and run him over. In fact, we have a witness who reported seeing the police run over him three times with his own SUV. The third point I make in this article, which each of which is devastating to the official account, and there's much, much more, is that I consulted an attorney who is a former professor of law. He'd been a prosecutor. He'd been a defense attorney. And I asked him to zoom in on the evidence and give me his distilled analysis and he pointed out that in the fbi report about the boston bombing it states that the two backpacks that exploded were black nylon backpacks in the indictment for zoker for which he stood trial it says the two backpacks that exploded were black nylon backpacks but even in the footage of them at the marathon which the government appears to have fabricated they were not neither of them was wearing a black nylon backpack They're completely different. They don't appear to be carrying anything heavy like an alleged pressure cooker bomb. The whole thing's fraudulent. No one died at at Boston bombing or at Sandy Hook. I can prove that a dozen different ways and have done so. Uh, So his point was there wasn't even probable cause to arrest him or indict him, much less convict him at a trial. The whole thing was a charade. And I filed a formal complaint with the California Bar against Judy Clark, the defense attorney, who, although formally pleading him not guilty in her opening statement, said, he did it.
1: Wow. Her?
4: Amazing.
1: Amazing. It just keeps going on and on and on. Uh, Switch gears here, Jim, and go back to World War II. Uh,
4: uh, Well, by far, by far, yes, by far the most controversial issue we deal with here, of course, is the the end of World War II, Nicholas Kohlerstrom has a new book entitled Breaking the Spell uh, about all the evidence related to the camps uh, that the, the Germans were running at the end of the w- World War II. Uh, all the evidence substantiates they were labor camps. These were not as centers for extermination. And where it turns out that there is uh, objective scientific Grounds to conclude that the official narrative we've been given of six million Jews having been gassed to death uh, using Zyklon B cannot be sustained. Let me explain the evidence which Nick so brilliantly presents in his book. Zyklon uh, B is a form of cyanide. Bodies that die from cyanide poisoning turn pink, but we have no reports of pink bodies from anywhere. And in addition, Uh, The walls of chambers where Zyklon B is used turns blue. The only chambers that turn blue were those used for delousing to kill body lice because it was causing the spread of of diseases, uh, typhus, and so forth through the camp. So the Zyklon B was being used in copious quantity for the maintenance of uh, hygienic conditions and sanitation to keep the prisoners alive, not to kill them. You can't get any work out of a corpse. Uh, What turned out to have happened is the Allied bombing of the German cities, which was a form of collective punishment that, if you read the Geneva Conventions of 1949, is declared to be a war crime because you're punishing people for crimes they did not personally commit. Collective punishment is a war crime. They not only destroyed the German cities, but they interdicted the railroad lines and made it impossible to resupply the camps. There's never been any documentation of Hitler having issued an order to exterminate the Jews He did want to have this labor force, slave labor, to perform work at facilities being run by the government. So they're located near major military industries like a munitions plant, for example. I also published a a map of Auschwitz that has many features that are inconsistent with this having been a center for extermination, including a hospital with OBYGYN facilities, a, 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 a symphony hall where the orchestra could play Woodworking shop for making furniture and different kinds of wooden artifacts. They even had a brothel. I put on the back cover a photograph that I found quite stunning myself of the British football team at Auschwitz, along with a caption, What? You didn't know there was a UK soccer team at Auschwitz? And I included photographs there showing, you know, the When these camps were liberated, you have many children, and they all look very healthy, very fit. There wasn't a deliberate policy to exterminate any of these people. The six million has a very interesting story behind it, because it turns out there are 236 references to six million Jews in dire straits or in fear of loss of their lives before the Nuremberg tribunals as early as 1890, 236. Obviously, this is not historical. This is not empirical. In fact, the best data we have comes from two diverse sources. One is the International Committee of the Red Cross, which was visiting the camps and keeping very meticulous records, which they updated in 1993, with the final numbers that 296,087 had died from all causes at these camps. Would you believe more Catholics died at Auschwitz than Jews? And that the... the the death books kept by the British intelligence with broken the German code also had corresponding numbers where where Nick reports the results of integrating the the German death books with the uh, International Red Cross evidence which shows that uh, you know we're talking about a tiny fraction of the alleged number of six million which appears to be derived from a theological source there's a disputed passage in Leviticus which is interpreted to mean that the chosen people cannot return to the promised land until there are minus 6 million who have been consumed in the flames. But even that figure 6 million requires interpolation because that's not a figure that was part of the original language in which this passage was written. So, you know, the whole thing is an elaborate story that's intended to be served to play on a Western sense of guilt to support Zionism and to give all kinds of benefits to Israel because uh, the Western powers let 6 million Jews be gassed at that at at, uh, these uh, concentration camps the only problem being none of it is true and the best research we have is based on laws of science laws of biochemistry laws of material science I'm an expert on laws of nature laws of nature cannot be violated and cannot be changed the fact that we have scientific proof that this did not happen ought to be the the final chapter in the Holocaust story. Got a big hole in it.
1: Uh, Jim, we're we're, uh, we're right now. This this year seems to be, uh, you know, we're we're heading, uh, you know, this whole Jade Helm specter of. Uh, darkness uh very uh, incredible weather patterns all across the country uh there are people out there who who make comments and documented posts and things like you know this this could be you know with the four or five blood moons uh the the, the whole quickening is taking place is do you feel like this is all kind of coming to a head right now well i'm very very troubled
4: fred as you have heard me say before i regard this jade helm as the greatest threat to freedom and democracy in our nation's history. It's all very elaborate. Uh, they, they've closed these Walmarts, they are remodeling the Walmarts. This is no ordinary training op. It involves thousands of military vehicles, principally armored personnel carriers, and other vehicles designed to withstand improvised explosive devices. They're remodeling the Walmarts. They're putting up eight and nine foot high fences. They're remodeling the inside of the Walmarts. They're tearing up the floors. A friend, more expert than I in this area, has told me they're going to install arrays of electrodes so that they can uh, electrically stimulate the souls, the bare souls of the detainees when they put in the facilities and inflict pain or render them unconscious or even dead. We have Walmarts that are they're being, their front doors are being replaced with blast-resistant doors that run hundred to 200,000 apiece. Uh, These are not signs of an ordinary training op. We have a member in Killam, Texas, Uh, we have a report from someone who ran a facility where many army, probably a bar, where many army personnel visited, and he was asking them about Jade Helm, and 80% knew nothing about it. One soldier said he'd been trained for Jade Helm, and they pursued a conversation. He said the objective was to seize guns and excess food that they're going after gun owners and food hoarders. And when he asked, well, what defines a food hoarder? He said, anyone who has food in excess of a seven-day supply. Now, it's the first I ever heard that it was was anything un-American, unlawful, or unconstitutional about having more than a seven-day supply of food or owning guns. The last time I looked, the Second Amendment was still in place. But it (laughs) appears that those are some of the principal objectives. We now have reports from Flint, Michigan, The J-DEL is going on there. Explosions have rocked the whole community. 50-caliber machine guns are being heard in the background. Old buildings are being destroyed by what's going on. You can hear helicopters. I just played a clip from what's going on in uh, Flint, Michigan, on my show last night and talked with an attorney about what could be done who pointed out that after the fact, if they invaded your home, you could bring violation of the Fourth Amendment charges, that there's a decision known as blivens versus five unnamed agents, where Blivens was entitled to sue the government for violation of his Fourth Amendment right and even to obtain punitive damages in addition to actual damages, where he believes if this information got out that some of those troops involved might have second thoughts about it. We are getting feedback that although a lot of troops who are troubled about this, we have a, a one report about the troops asking their officers what's going on and being told that it's a routine drill, but they're expecting resistance and therefore they're issuing live ammunition. And I say, well, if it's a routine drill, why should there be resistance? And if there were resistance, why would they be issuing live ammunition? Very disturbing. Wow. Uh, What's important to do, Fred, is to raise hell with your state representatives and your governor, because the governor of Texas has directed the Texas Guard to monitor the activities of the Jade Helm troops in Texas. Anyone, this is in blatant violation of posse okay. statute from 1878 that precludes the use of military force. Yeah. To perform. Was yes, it was. Okay, we'll see you. Good night.
1: We'll you. Hey, Sam,
4: please, uh, Sam,
1: uh, meet your phone. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you just did. <laughs> okay, sorry about that. Sorry about that, Jim. That's okay okay
4: and and, and you know, i mean in sorry. addition in advance, I think it's very important to put pressure on the governors if one governor you know they're they're trying to get around quasisi comitatus by obtaining permission from cities, often from the mayor or the city council who aren't even consulting the residents about this and giving them a grant of permission. those permissions ought to be rescinded. This is all much too serious to allow to take take place. Uh, I, I regard, again, this is a, an immense threat to freedom and liberty in the United States, in my opinion, the greatest we've ever confronted. And, Jim, is
1: this Jade Helm a a, a one-time shot, or are there things – I mean, it sounds like these Walmarts are not just weekend uh, – switches i mean these are going to be ongoing facilities kind of
4: oh yeah 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 no they they've told their employees who they 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 fired you know without notice uh that uh, find other source of employment they're going to be closed for at least nine months and i say and you know this event was originally scheduled from 15 july to 15 september now it's been moved up to begin 15 june just a few days hence and i say any operation that extends over a period of two or three months isn't a training op it's an occupation this is very very serious they moved up the
0: date yeah
4: i think the, too many people were becoming aware of it so they they moved it up but they're actually conducting these ops already we had uh, film footage from fort lauderdale a couple of weeks ago of jade helm troops who were taking into custody a group of detainees and when they saw a woman filming them they took the camera from her and, and destroyed it. That's a destruction of private property. That's a crime all by itself. And when they noticed other civilians were filming them destroying her cell phone for filming them doing this up, uh, they decided they'd been had and they disbanded and let the detainees go. But I think what's going on here, I mean, you have to understand there is no domestic terrorist threat. We had a former CIA official... Uh, who has explained all the terrorist acts that have been claimed to have taken place since 9-11 have been by the government. They've been fake attacks. I've been saying enough about Sandy Hook and the Boston bombing. You get the idea there. But the fact is the NSA surveillance, the massive surveillance, where Rand Paul stood tall in defeating the Patriot Act, but where it came back in a new form as the American Freedom Act, where all these names are ridiculous because these are anything but standing up for freedom they're standing up for our enslavement and loss of our rights under the constitution the the NSA claims it's all pursuing domestic terrorists but the fact of the matter is the senate committee on homeland security released a report as long ago as october 3rd 2012 based upon its review of 680 fusion center studies where fusion centers merge federal, state, and local anti-terrorist activities, gathered between 2009 and 2010. And in those 680 fusion center reports, they found not a single instance of domestic terrorist activity, nor any case in which a fusion center had thwarted a planned domestic terrorist act, which means and since that's such a large and varied sample, that it's perfectly reasonable to make the statistical inference that domestic terrorism is not, if not completely non-existent, virtually non-existent. And therefore, the question arises, who are they targeting? Who are they surveying? I think the answer becomes fairly obvious. They are surveying veterans. In the eyes of Homeland Security, veterans are potential terrorists. Why? Because they know enough about military uh, weapons and military tactics to constitute a formidable force in opposition if the government is to impose a military police state. Uh, They're also targeting constitutionalists, Ron Paul supporters, 9-11 truthers, militia members, NRA members, anyone who might have the knowledge, ability, and courage to stand up to resist the imposition of a military police state by force. That is what appears to be going on. And Jade Helm, and there have been previous Jade Helms, and Jade Helm 15 stands for the year 2015. This 2015 just appears to be the the year in which it all comes together and they actually go live.
1: And, Jim, uh, I guess there's a file in the FBI that categorizes all bikers, motorcycle uh, owners, as as terrorists, right?
4: Well, we've had a whole series of attacks, you know, that have had different uh, objectives. For example, the Mura building bombing appears to have been going after the militias to give the militias a bad name. Uh, Sandy Hook appears to have been designed to create a cadre of anti-gun lobbyists with seemingly impeccable credentials as parents of children who died. How could you resist the emotional appeal they would make where where Wolfgang Halbig has been pursuing the non-response to his FOIA request with a very capable attorney by the name of Kay Wilson? And they've got some very damaging admissions already including, although there were rumors that the Sandy Hook Elementary School security system had been upgraded in 2011, actually had not been upgraded since 2007, which is consistent with all the evidence I'd put together that the school had been closed by 2008 and then was used as a prop as a stage setting in in 2012. And now there have been these past questions about Sandy Hook and why there was a sign there very prominent that says everyone must check in why we had footage from inside the firehouses that shows boxes of bottled water and pizza cartons, Uh, why there were name tags on lanyards. Virtually everyone was wearing a name tag with a color code on a lanyard. Why there'd be parents bringing children to a child shooting massacre. Didn't make any sense. Why there were porta-potties in the vicinity. It, It turns out we have a FEMA manual for the event, and it says right in the manual, everyone must check in. It says right in the manual, refreshments and restrooms will be provided. They haven't been able to provide information to Wolfgang about when the porta-potties were delivered because it would reveal it was on the wrong day. It was on the 13th, the day of the rehearsal, not the 14th, which explains all the other anomalies. And now they had the first the first select woman of Newtown, a woman by the name of uh, Patricia LaLorda, and when Wolfgang and I went to visit Newtown and we spoke between the, before the school board, before we were allowed entry into the building, Patricia LaLorda came to the front door with a security guy and pointed me out and said, he's not our friend. And uh, Patricia LaLorda was asked about who provided the, the sign there that says everyone must check in since it had been established the city hadn't done it. And she said it was Homeland Security. And Kay said that there was a visible gasp in the in the audience presented there in the hearing room, which he made that admission because it confirmed everything else we know, but we didn't expect it to get it from such a prominent source. Wow,
1: that's a smoking gun right there,
4: Jim. <laughs> we have a whole lot of them. As I say, if you wanna if you wanna learn about you know Sandy Hook and the Boston bombing, go online to the Real Deal Special, must see. Sandy Hook update, and the Real Deal special must-see Boston bombing update, because I I put most of the evidence we had available then together there. Uh, Not all that I have included in this most recent article, they didn't do it. Mariette Saranova blows apart the Boston bombing. That's worth reading on your own. In fact, if you were to read only one article about the Boston bombing, that's the article to read, because I embed that YouTube overview, and I also embed my interview with Marette Saranova, as well as the evidence that I've sketched for you already here this evening. Hey, Jim, I don't want to uh, uh, uh confused,
1: but go, going back to the Beatles, the yeah. Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Heart Club Band uh, album was a distinctive change in the tenor and the tone and the dynamic of
4: that group. You stated that. Uh, well, th- this is all very interesting, uh, because you had these close harmonies that were so distinctive of the early Beatles, but after, uh, in Sgt. Pepper, you didn't have those close harmonies anymore, and I think it's because Paul couldn't sing the way, way Paul did with John and with George, so yeah. they didn't do that anymore, they went much more independently, they did all the recording in studios, they didn't do any yeah. live performances, it would have been too conspicuous. We're not talking about the same guy, and yeah. you know it all evolved from there. I think the Beatles, as Ringo's confession confirmed, were worried that their fans would hate them for having lied uh, about Paul, that his death might also be viewed as a great tragedy by many of his female fans, that there was a risk of, a, of a possible suicide there. But I think the overall... Motive was that the band must the show must go on the band must continue to play they had all kinds of contractual legal commitments and by replacing paul they were able to carry on by and large without the public becoming aware that anything untoward had happened the actual story of september 11th appears to be that that paul and john had an argument in the studio and paul left in a huff it was a rainy day they actually picked up a girl whose middle name was Rita, who was standing by the side of the road because it was raining, she was so excited that she was in the car with Paul McCartney that it distracted him going through an intersection that the car was hit from the side and ran into a a telephone pole or a lamp pole that she got out, but Paul was trapped inside the vehicle which burst into fire, and he was calling out, get me out, get me out, but they were unable to get him out, and he burned to death in the car. Oh my God! And what
1: year was that again? Nineteen
4: sixty-six. Nine eleven, nineteen sixty-six.
1: Okay, so this is one month after the Jesus. We're uh, more famous than Jesus. Uh, quote right here in Chicago. At the, well, I guess that's if
4: that's when the when when John made that remark. Yeah. And he wasn't really he wasn't really being disrespectful, although you had that no. huge surge in burning Beatle albums and all this. Yeah other nonsense that accompanied it i mean he was just making an observation about the enormity of their popularity which was certainly true i mean historically it wouldn't be equivalent because christianity has prevailed for thousands of years but in terms of then contemporaneous popularity of the band i mean he was making a remark he did not think would be controversial as it was interpreted but
1: they had toured america during that time the month of august but they were back in england when Paul uh, ran into, had that accident. Is that
4: what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Wow. So the three key dates are September 11th, when Paul died, uh, October, when Brian Epstein, their manager, announced they would no longer be touring, and then I believe it was 5 July of 1967, when Sergeant Pepper was released. And it's clearly a funeral. And they're introducing the one and only Billy Shears, who is Paul's replacement. And he's even noticeably taller. Apparently, he looked a great deal like Paul, but they sent him to Africa to have uh, some cosmetic surgery. And he came back looking really a great deal like Paul. Well, if you look right on the cover of the book, I have photographs of them right on the front cover, side by side. That's Paul on the left. He's got a rounder face, more angelic, and that's Paul on the right with a more oblong face. It's clearly a different structure skull, and he has a different look, more mature look. I mean, he's still a very good-looking guy, needless to say, and it proved to be a quite a talented musician. After all, Wings, for example, was all fall, and Paul had nothing to do with that. Apparently, John and Paul had written many songs before Paul's death, and they continued to produce them. And one of the reasons why you had so many songs on the White album was that because they were under contract uh, to produce so many songs, and by writing as many and publishing as many songs as they did, they were able to free themselves from the old contract. Wow, wow! But that was it for their touring or anything else. It was it was
1: done. It was over after that, right?
4: Right. They no longer toured ostensibly on the ground that they couldn't hear themselves sing, which is just ridiculous. But they did it all in the studio, and, you know, with synthesizers and all that. I mean, they they could make make the voice sound more like uh, Paul's voice. I mean, you know, yeah. but there have been, you know, st- studies done that the voices are different. I mean, there's a whole lot of a- aspects of this that are discussed in considerable detail in the book. I don't want to yeah. give it all away. There's a wonderful chapter... By a fellow named James A. Larson, who was the son of the leader of the Four Preps, a very popular band in the uh, er, earlier mid-60s before the Beatles phenomenon, before the British invasion, who assesses the qualifications of five or six and settles on one he believes actually replaced Paul. But but I won't suggest the issue is beyond debate because Nick Kohlstrom, who has a book about this, Uh, offered reasons to think that might not be the right uh, solution to the question of who replaced Paul. But I'll tell you, it's a fascinating chapter, absolutely fascinating. Wow.
1: What have we missed up? Have we covered all the bases in the book, Jim?
4: I think you had, because it begins with the moon landing. There's 100 pages on the moon landing, the most impressive of which is by Winston Wu, where he offers 35 proofs that we did not go to the moon. Then there's uh, 100 pages on Paul. I would suggest uh, Larson's chapter is the most impressive. Nick Kohlestrom's chapter there is also quite exquisite. Uh, then we have uh, 25 pages on Saddam, 25 pages on Osama, and 50 pages on the Holocaust. And i got to say, I think those 50 pages on the Holocaust really are probably the most powerful, uh, succinct analysis of what happened at the end of World War II ever to have been published. So I think I think the book is... More than repays, you know. It's a, we priced it low. It's only eighteen ninety five, and in fact, I notice that Amazon has it down as low as like seventeen dollars. I think you might even be able to get it less than that. But it's, uh, I think it's, you know, a tr- terribly provocative book, and it seems to fall together in just the right way. So I'm, I'm very pleased with the results so far. Hey
1: guys. Uh- Anybody out there, a comment or question for Jim Fetzer, feel free just to star six, unmute your phone. And uh, anybody out there, just star six, your phone. I always have questions, Fred. Who's that, Jim? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and I think Rick
0: Rick Aeolia wants to um, have a question next.
1: Okay, Rick Aeolia, go ahead.
0: Yeah, Jim
1: yeah. first. Hey, uh, uh, Mr. Fetzer, um, as far as the Jade Helm deal, I did. I don't know if you saw it, but Gary Franchi had run, um, I, I guess it was the local news up there in Flint, Michigan, um, when, when they started uh, their bombing and everything, scared the heck out of the population. And they did an interview with, uh, I guess, the representative of the military, and he just left it off like uh yeah we don't we don't we don't have any the army doesn't have any responsibility to notify the public that we're going to do this uh it was it was uh quite quite interesting to even hear the man say that and then the other thing i wanted to comment on was um uh i'm sure you're aware of ursula uh haverbeck yeah um, and oh now I, I i i can't believe that that they let her on Um, public television uh, with that interview. Um, Well, it's fairly fascinating.
4: Ursula is an 86-year-old historian who got on German television and raised questions about the Holocaust asking, where did these 6 million die? Because if you go to put together all the sources, allegedly, it just doesn't add up. I I explained how One of the sources is the International Committee of the Red Cross that comes up with a total number revised in 1993 of 296,000 plus, and that the German, uh, I mean, British intelligence had cracked the German code and that they they put together what are referred to as the death books, to which Nick Kohlstrom had access, and they confirm similar numbers. So we have multiple sources that confirm the actual number was less than 300,000, and we're talking about gypsying and Jews and the mentally and physically infirm. It's very clear that Hitler did not have the policy of putting the Jews to death, that rather these were work camps. They were performing labor, slave labor, yes, at the, at the behest of the Third Reich, uh, for example, in the manufacture of munitions and the like. Uh, but you can't get any work out of a corpse and it would have been counterproductive to put them to death they wanted to use them for labor and where you know the, the, really the 50 pages are about as good and comprehensive as you're going to find anywhere in put giving you the distilled essence of the holocaust story and why it's indefensible cannot withstand objective scientific scrutiny and why the origin of the 6 million as a number is uh, appears to be theological or ideological, and has nothing to do with history or empirical evidence. That she got on was very significant, raised the question. She was assaulted by a tactical SWAT team, and you know she faces uh, imprisonment uh, and fines for simply raising a question. In my opinion, that's simply absurd. The idea that there should be laws against uh, you know freedom of inquiry and freedom of speech and freedom of the press is a travesty, and uh, Voltaire said, if you want to know who rules, you ask who cannot be criticized. And it's very clear that, you know, in Germany and many other nations, you can't even remotely raise the question of whether the Holocaust was real without being proclaimed to be a Holocaust denier or trading in hate speech or anti-Semitism. Uh, I mean, that's just ludicrous. Uh, but there it is. And it shows a profound control that the uh, zionists have over the political agendas of many different nations
1: uh thanks jim who else was out there Didi? It sounded like um uh, was that uh rick
0: aiello uh it sounded like he was well it looked like rick 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 could ask a question are you there rick Yeah, I'm here. I didn't have any question though. I didn't. I didn't touch my phone, so I don't know. Oh, okay. okay. You were one of the unmuted ones, so I, I thought. You, and then the microphone went down to your spot, so I thought, yeah. Oh, had that's
2: weird. No. Sorry. sorry. Uh,
0: okay. I have a
2: question, Sam.
1: Good, Jim. Uh, uh, two questions. Number one, Jim, what's your take on what's going on in Ukraine?
4: Well, the United States invested $5 billion to stir up unrest in the Ukraine. Uh, Zbigniew Brzezinski published a book called The Grand Chessboard here, oh, a decade or so ago, in which he said that Russia without the Ukraine was, uh, you know, was helpless because the Ukraine has been the kind of supply for agricultural products and so forth, a breadbasket, as it were, for Russia, which is historically true. Zbigniew Brzezinski hates Russia. He's a really... Uh, dedicated to the destruction of russia and it 's very unfortunate, therefore, that he should have a, a powerful influence on the American government but he 's not alone because you have all these neocon uh, war hawks like Victoria Newland, who given the recent accident to John Kerry, which is peculiar all by itself because no one can seem to say where John Kerry has been for the last week, leading to some speculation that he might have been assassinated just because he is too even handed in dealing with uh, iran and ukraine and so forth and they want uh, zealots like victoria newland who now appears to be running the shop and uh, you know we're we're sending 450 well that's the 450 going to, into iraq to deal with isis but isis is our own creation we have an acknowledgement from the defense intelligence agency that they created isis to isolate syria what's going on in ukraine is trying to provoke activities there that could lead to world war three vladimir putin is the most sane sensible intelligent statesman on the face of the earth and uh, he's doing his best to cope with the situation without leading to a massive war that could take the lives of 40 or 50 million human beings from the face of the earth that doesn't mean it won't happen but whatever happens it will not be because vladimir putin wanted to go to war
1: yeah. Uh, Jim, uh you think Putin's going to intervene in Syria to keep Assad from falling?
4: I think that it would be very wise to do that. And it does appear that the Iranians are actively supporting Assad in Syria, which is, again, a very wise thing, because taking out Syria was simply a stepping stone to attacking Iran, with a resolution of the fabricated charges of Iranian development of nuclear weapons, which are all 16 of our own intelligence agencies contradicted already in 2007, reaffirmed in 2011, where even the Mossad reported to the Israeli government in 2012 that Iran was not pursuing nuclear weapons just three weeks before Benjamin Netanyahu went to the UN and declared precisely the opposite. I think things will settle down and it looks as though Israeli attention is now shifting from Iran to the uh, uh, boycott, uh, you know, uh, d- d- dis- withdrawal from financial and engage, engaged sanctions on Israel as an apartheid uh, state, very much uh, assuming the status that South, America, South Africa did in the past. I think this is a very powerful broad-based movement. Uh, Bimi has declared it's a, a, a strategic threat to Israel, which I interpret as meaning that he's authorizing the Mossad to take out leaders of this movement. But it's very diffuse. I think that's going to be very difficult to bring to pass. So there's so many engaged in this uh, that I, I think it's going to make a real difference. Israel is becoming increasingly isolated. Henry Kissinger also observed. Uh, about a decade ago, that Israel was not going to be around very much longer. And uh, Kissinger, alas, has been a pretty good prognosticator about future events. We know, of course, Uh, from DNA studies from Johns Hopkins, that the uh, chosen people don't have a genetic entitlement to the promised land, that most of the occupants of Israel are Khazars, they're from the Khazarian region of, of Ukraine, which may also be a reason why there's been speculation of of Israel founding a new Israel in the Crimea, which might be a reason for wanting Russia to go to war with the United States so that Israel could uh, pick up the spoils, in this case, uh, Crimea.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've heard that too. The Khazars want to uh, take over Ukraine. Yes. To set up their country for the Khazars. Yeah, that would be the Ashkenazis. ISIS... Uh, you, you said ISIS was created by uh, the United States. Yeah, and I, and I say that because we need an enemy over there. You know, they well, want... no, no,
4: no, no, Here, well, here's the deal. Uh, they, they, they thought Obama thought that the gas attacks that were blamed on the Assad government would be sufficient to justify to the American people his lobbying cruise missiles into Syria. But the American people didn't want another war in the, the Middle East and overwhelmingly opposed it by a ratio of like 90 to 1. I mean, I've never been more proud of the American people. It turned out the gas attacks were from the rebels that Prince Bandar, Saudi Arabia appears to have provided them with the weapons, where the Russians mm-hmm. provided a 50-page dossier to the United Nations establishing that the Assad government had nothing to do with it. Having been unable to proceed to attack Syria, That way, they had to find another avenue, and creating ISIS to Mm -hmm. isolate Syria is the means they chose to do it. We've run alleged bombing attacks on ISIS, but in fact, they were taking out the infrastructure of Syria, bombing grain silos and bridges and so forth, I mean, to weaken the Syrian government, not to take out uh, ISIS— in fact, the strongest response to ISIS has actually, ironically, come from the Iraqi government, which about a month ago shot down two U.K. cargo planes that were delivering supplies to ISIS, and then a week later, two American helicopters. Uh, ISIS has been advised by two retired American generals. has been mm-hmm. financed by the United States, Saudi Arabia, and Israel. John McCain even traveled to Syria and was photographed with the leader of ISIS, who appears to be an Israeli Mossad agent. All this is elaborate political theater. ISIS in Washington, D.C. is known as John McCain's army. It's all completely despicable and shows the state yes. to which the United States has sunk at this point in the history of our once great nation.
1: Well, they're, they're, they're doing israel's foreign policy. I think Israel's calling the shots.
4: Yeah, yeah. Did I not mention Cynthia McKinney has reported how every new congressman Uh, when he comes to Washington, is asked to sign a pledge to put the interests of Israel even ahead of those of the United States. And if Mm -hmm. you don't do that, then you're going to find yourself confronted by a well-financed candidate uh, in in the next election, and they'll they'll buy up all the advertising time and see you run out of Congress, as happened to Cynthia McKinney. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, the Zionist influence over our government is simply overwhelming. When you could have 47 senators essentially violate the constitution by writing to the president of of iran and tell him that any negotiation between the, the government of the united states and the p5 plus one with iran over their nuclear weapons program uh, doesn't mean that it will be you know supported in the future and maybe revised and jettison i mean this is just disgraceful
3: there's a there's right. a
4: logan act violation here that you know well, we're not allowed to interfere with the conduct of foreign policy, except through appropriate channels. These 47 senators were going outside of appropriate channels. It was despicable. And Yeah, but they,
1: I think they were forced to do that by Israel. I think they, Israel wrote it, and they signed it.
4: Well, I mean, that's entirely possible, but, you know, to, to whom should your allegiance be given? To Israel or to the United States? I okay. mean, we have to have we have to have principled politicians. We don't have principled politicians. Too many are dominated by uh, Zionists who are pulling the strings. So, right? No,
1: no. Uh, what your take? Okay, excuse me. Go ahead. Oh, you go ahead. Okay, uh, you know the Bilderbergers are meeting in Austria this now. What, you do know you I want
4: to comment on a, that. But yeah. Oh well. well this does appear to be a meeting of, you know, rulers of the world uh, who really are making a difference and in, in exploiting uh, the, the lives and property of others for their own benefit. I mean, it's outrageous. Uh, Alex Jones has actually shed a lot of light on the Bilderbergers, it seems to me. That's one of the areas <coughs> where he's been strong. He hasn't been wanting to talk about Israel's involvement in 9-11 or the Israeli domination of American politics or how, you know, the the Zionists are uh, promoting their own agenda by using the United States to conduct all these wars on the be- for the benefit of Israel. But ap- he doesn't go there, but otherwise he does a lot of good work, and he has people who work with him like this uh, John Paul Watson who's done a number of very good studies about Jade Helm. So I don't write Alex off. I don't agree with him 100%. I think he should go further. I wish he were made of sterner stuff, but I think... He makes a positive contribution on the whole. Yeah,
1: he won't touch Israel.
4: That's right. That's my take, too. Well,
1: I understand he's married to a Jewess. I
4: understand that,
1: too. Yeah. Anybody else? Uh, Sam, thank you for your questions. Uh, And uh, anybody else?
0: Come to question for Jim Petzer?
1: I, well, Jim, I if there's not anybody else in line,
0: I was just going to tell him that I bought your book
4: just now. Uh, oh, terrific!
0: Yeah, it was sixteen dollars and four cents.
4: How was that from Amazon, right? Yeah, that was pretty that's, good. That, I,
0: that, I that's had a to, pretty,
4: I, That's a pretty good deal.
0: I had to buy it because I really
4: want my brother to read it.
0: And um, wonderful.
4: We're, gonna yeah, we're so, gonna. yeah, I think we're going to be going into a Kindle edition. They've offered to turn it into a Kindle book, uh, and we're just doing some tweaks. We're making some corrections to typographical errors and the like before we do that. But uh, I'd say in 10 days or two weeks from now, there will also be a Kindle edition.
0: Uh, I don't have one of those, so I'll be happy with hard copy. (laughs) Well, you,
4: you, you see, the beauty of it is it's something you can read in your FEMA camp. (laughs)
0: <laughs> not, I, don't I do have to move, but it's not going to be into a FEMA camp. Go ahead, Jim, if you have some questions.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, Jim, um, are you familiar with this uh, International Tribunal for Natural Justice that is getting ready to launch on the 15th? No, tell me about it. Tell me about it. Well, um, uh, it's just people around the world have come together and, and, and surprisingly, there's even attorneys um, and, and judges that are getting involved in this, and it's going to be a, it's going to be a tribunal where, if you're uh, if if you're harmed, uh, I mean, they're basically coming down and saying, these commercial courts, these corporate courts, it, it, it's all over the world, and basically they're saying, these are men and women that are doing harm to you. They can't hide behind the corporate veil. And so if, if you've been harmed, that you can go into this international tribunal uh, to get relief. Uh, interesting thing, though, is I just came across a YouTube, because I have been I just found out about it yesterday, and I've been researching it, and I found this YouTube, and there's this gentleman out of Canada. His name is Kevin uh, uh, DeLele. Could D- be. A- yeah. R- Go ahead. Yeah. Any, any, anyway, anyway, uh, actually, uh, there's a couple people right out of my hometown here that that were interviewing him, and he's saying that he has done, he has done research and he has uncovered that that there is a uh, the majority of the of the United Nations countries have had for at least seventy years 19, since 1945 have have had a mission to reduce the population because they think that that's the problem and that they're doing it uh, by genocide. And he he kind of even agrees with it. Even though he's against it, uh, he kind of agrees that we have a population problem. And, and the people right here in my hometown said, well, we disagree with you on that. But then uh, they brought up about did he think that there was Illuminati or Zionists or anybody like that, that were really in control? And he says, Oh no, that's just part of the game. Um, These people are anybody that, that is in the know of these genocide operations um, are, are being labeled as Illuminati. And I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't believe that. I don't believe that because, you know, with with uh, uh, the the falsehood of what actually happened in World War One and World War Two, and who was involved and who actually did the atrocities, um, I, I I can't accept um, that part of what he says. But I, it was very interesting for him to say that he has got the research that says that this is almost a worldwide effort of. Of population reduction um he doesn't agree with it being done by genocide, but he agrees that we've got a population problem. I don't know if you know anything about that or not, but um might be something you might want to look into
4: well, I think the agenda twenty one is supposed to be a program for population reduction, and there are those who believe that Jade Helm may even be a part of it. I'm not. Uh, as convinced as I am troubled by the chemtrail phenomenon, the giving uh, immunity to, this is ironic, giving immunity to pharmaceuticals for the effects of their inoculations, which may even kill you and you be unable to take any legal action against them because the government has granted them uh, blanket immunity. I mean, this is absurd uh vaccines can cause all kinds of problems we know the issues of autism appear to be related to mercury and vaccines and there's no end of uh, bad that can come from it when they start talking about a mandatory inoculation program i wrote as i know many others wrote and said yes you can inoculate my cold dead arm but not before because i'm not going to put up with mandatory inoculations it's a terrible terrible idea and they're trying to deprive you know the public of having the right to a Uh, a religious exemption from inoculations. I'm sorry to say this appears to be one more way that we are being brought under governmental control that is harmful to human beings and other living things. Uh,
1: Yeah, Jim, you muted there. Sorry. Well, yeah, I just wanted to let him talk. Um, Yeah, I, I, I think that this is something that um, uh, th- this new organization. I, I'm going to research it more, but uh, but I get I get what they're doing uh, because uh, the phenomenon that we are experiencing in, in the courts in America are not isolated. This is it's going on worldwide. I mean, just like just like this with this Ur- Ursula Haberbach and I don't know how many other thousands of Germans that have been put in jail just for questioning the
4: Holocaust. Um, Yeah, it's absurd. If I I were in Germany for publishing this book, I'd be prosecuted and imprisoned. I mean, it's absurd. Yeah. And and notice it has nothing to do with truth. There's a complete abdication of any question of truth. Truth should be an absolute defense against any claim of this kind. It's ridiculous. Truth doesn't even enter into it. She is violating a law that had no rationale, no suitable rationale other than the political constraint to make conformity about a, 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 a fantastic story that, in fact, has been disproven on objective scientific grounds.
1: Yeah. And, and you know, one of the things that Ursula said during the interview, and I love it, she says,
4: the truth needs no defense. And I right. love that. Right. She's a wonderful that. person. Yeah, she's a heroine in my pantheon. I'm very impressed. Oh, I am too. Uh, And thanks for coming on, Jim. Oh, yeah, my great pleasure. I think this is a terrific institution you have here, these conference calls. And I think it's wonderful. I'm very pleased to be a part of it.
1: Anybody else a comment or question for Jim Fetzer? And, uh, Jim, could you, uh, before you wrap it up here, uh, and I don't need to, open up Pandora's box and, and dig out all the debris. But the Gordon Duff Veterans Today separation, uh, you may or may not want to comment on, but uh, it, it seems that you were definitely uh, producing a, a, a huge amount of body of, of, of research and of material, posting. It was a, it was a, sort of a masthead flagship type of thing, and we were all, and, uh, but I don't know, I a lot of us are getting sort of mixed feelings about Gordon Duff and, and, and how he's run that place. And, and the question is, you well, know, who is he
4: really uh, representing? Well, he's he's not the guy I thought he was. I mean, this all came to a head over Jade Helm, where he, he trashed an article by another former Marine by the name of Robert O'Dowd, who was raising very obvious questions that need to be raised about Jade Helm. And he intervened and put on an a, a editor's note, saying that uh, this was an unsourced, uninformed article that misled people, that they'd check with their sources, and that there was nothing to it. It was an ordinary drill involving 1,200 National Guard troops, which is ridiculous. So I looked at the case. I thought it was wrong. He intervened, and I published an article of my own entitled Jade Helm is Not an Ordinary Training Drill. Uh, uh, and and uh, Gordon re- de- defending Robert O'Dowd and criticizing Gordon and he intervened as I expected he would and wrote an editor's note that was twice as long and more venomous than he would put on O'Dowd's and when it got 600 reads in the first hour it was I told my wife it was going to go to number one Gordon obviously saw that was happening too so he just took it down and that night oh, I went on I went on the air with uh, Stu Webb who Gordon had fired when he was on the air about a week before. I was on with him with Preston James. I thought it was bizarre. Stu Webb had put his own money, along with Chip Tabin, into creating an, a, a Veterans Today radio program. It had a huge audience. And Gordon fired him on the air, never gave a reason for it. I told him I thought it was a huge mistake and was going to have a, you know unexpected uh, consequences. I went on that air with uh, that evening with... Uh, with Stu webb and talked about what gordon had done and how inappropriate this was and the next morning i discovered he'd taken me out of veterans today uh that i was no longer there uh and i noticed immediately he'd taken off the last four articles that i had published about the boston bombing and the one i would published about paul mccartney and i repeatedly asked what had happened to those articles well he left my name uh, uh, as though i were still a journalist for veterans today for three weeks and i then wrote gordon i said gordon it's been three weeks since you took me off but you still have my name there don't you think you should take it off he hadn't want readers of veterans today to know that i was no longer a member uh, so he not only took off my name but he took off the other 100 or whatever articles so all 150 of my articles were gone it was the largest repository of recent research on jfk since so the publication of my The Great Zapruder Film Hoax in 2003. It had a huge amount of cutting-edge stuff about 9-11 and how it appears to have been, the buildings appear to have been destroyed by a sophisticated arrangement of mini or micro-nukes, and now all four of the crash sites were faked, albeit in different ways. Uh, the articles about Wellstone, uh, but then 30 articles I'd published about Sandy Hook And another dozen or so about the Boston. All that was just disappeared with a stroke of the button, you know. I mean, he just disappeared at all. Now, uh, ironically, uh, that led to a huge backlash. And whereas in the past, uh, the lead article, the number one article, might have had fifty or 60,000 readers, uh, the lead articles today have maybe 15,000 readers, which suggests to me they've lost maybe over half of their readership. I mean, uh, Preston James has observed that I had a following before I went to Veterans Today. I now believe that I was brought into Veterans Today to enhance their credibility and that Gordon Duff has been managing it to control veterans' attitudes. In other words, he's he created it it was created as an intelligence or a PSYOP to manage veteran attitudes. And when I started publishing about Jade Helm, that went beyond the pale because that would alert veterans that there was something going on here that ought to concern them. He's published four or five ridiculous articles trying to trivialize Jade Helm. They have no warrant whatsoever. They're completely repulsive and even juvenile. What has happened in the retrospect, however, is rather ironic because uh, about 10 days ago, Kevin Barrett told me that he was going to push for restoring my articles. And he told me last week that the editorial board had voted to restore all of my articles. And just... uh, uh today, uh, I guess, I, uh, or yesterday, actually, I got a, uh, a notification of a new lo- login for me, which led me to write the general manager and ask, does this mean you're restoring my articles? And he said, all of my articles would be restored within the next five working days, and I'd be able to use my old old login to access them. Uh, If they're restored, that's a very good thing, because it was was a vast amount of knowledge that was linked all over the world. I mean, all those connections, all those articles to all the websites in the world. I mean, it was incredible. It's like going through a a library and simply tossing out a bunch of books because you don't like the authors. I mean, how absurd is that? This is what Gordon Duff did. I think what happened is he got a new handler, and the new handler was astonished that there was this vast repository that exposed all the – uh, all the false flag attacks by the government on the American people, and he thought that was a bad thing. But the reaction uh, looks as though it's been so strong that they've had to reverse themselves, which has to be especially humiliating for Gordon. The emails they
0: send out are just ridiculous. They they don't CC anybody. They put everybody's names out there just wide open and just on you, and I get really tired of getting those, and it's almost impossible to get off of some of those lists.
4: Oh, you see, now you're telling me something I did not know. They're sending out group emails, and they don't even know how to do it and preserve the privacy of their of oh, those yeah. on the list. Dee Dee, I think oh, I yeah. think that's J T. Jahila. That that.
0: Well,
4: it, it it is, but it's also
0: it, it's all about Jim and all that stuff. Yeah. And I don't know who that yeah. group group is, but it seems to be. Isn't that a group led by Gordon Duff?
4: I don't well, think the JT group is led by Gordon Duff. That's kind of an odd um, group, very idiosyncratic. Yeah. Um, but that here, is here, horrible. Here, if, you, if you want to read something about it, there are two or three articles you ought to read. One is in that original one entitled Jade Helm is Not an Ordinary Training Drill. The second is entitled uh, Gordon Duff. Let's see. Oh, yeah. Gordon Duff covers for Jade Helm and the Boston bombing, because I was pointing out, oh, he also deleted my articles about the Boston bombing. And the third is Jade Helm, Kevin Barrett, and Gordon Duff moved to the dark side, because Kevin had been uh, belittling all the explanation I was giving about Jade Helm and why this is a really serious matter and was trying to be flippant, and I think it was under the influence of Gordon. Kevin is still publishing with VT, uh, and, uh, you know, What can I say about that, except that it it seems to me to be a mistake, but there he is. Preston James is now retired, and there are about a half a dozen of us, including Stu Webb and Chip Tatum and uh, Dean Hendrickson and uh, a couple others who went over to Veterans uh, Truth Network, which is now becoming quite a booming industry of its own and has a radio show that's drawing a million listeners, and um, the whole thing is you know, being reconstituted on a more... Uh, ethical, objective, scientific basis. So good. That, did,
0: that didn't Go produce ahead. the negative results that it could have.
4: That's good. That's right. That's right. That's right. He overplayed his hand. He went too far. I actually knew when I asked him to take my name off that he might do this. I also sensed that if he did do it, it would be so revealing that no one could mistake his motives or objectives. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah, it is.
1: Thanks, uh, Jim. Hey, Jim. Yeah, yeah go ahead. Uh, well, just quickly, in, in your favor, Jim, um, I was introduced to Veterans Today only about six months ago by Glenn Kennedy, and um, I was listening in religiously, and the one thing it always bothered to me that um, – Gordon would sit there and basically brag about how he traveled around the world with all of the security around him and that he was independently wealthy and blah, 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 blah. But then it was constantly, hey, we need donations. Hey, we need donations. And I'm going, wait a minute. Wait, This doesn't make sense. You're the leader of this, and you're saying you've got all this money, and you're asking for donations. That didn't make sense to me. It Let me bothers- give you two.
4: Let me give you two short stories about Gordon. Glenn Kennedy, by the way, has been doing a lot of good stuff he's publishing on Before It's News and other places about what's going on here, and he seems to me to be a very upright guy. But here are two short stories about Gordon. Uh, One is uh, not all that long ago, maybe six months or more, he said on the air, I'm a rich Jew with a handler. And my opinion is he got a new handler who wanted to sweep clean, and that was the reason I got the boot. But Gordon's assignment was to manage the veteran community, and by my publishing Jed Helm articles, he was losing his capacity to keep control. That's what I think. The other statement he made, and I remember so clearly when he said it because I had no idea what it meant. It was in the context of a discussion about martial law. And and Gordon Duff declared, we have nothing to worry about until they close the Walmarts. Wow. And I didn't understand it at all at the time. He said that six months ago, Jim? Yeah. Can you find uh, it? I heard, I heard him say it. You could probably do a search and find it. You know, just put in. You know, people don't know these Google searches. You can put in sentences somebody wrote. It'll tell you where it came from. A friend of mine was looking for the source. I put in you know, an extract that was half a paragraph, and it showed right where it came from. You can put in, you know, Gordon Duff says, you know, we have nothing to worry about until they close the Walmarts. It'll probably tell you where it came from. But he said it. I heard him say it, and it stuck in my mind because I did not understand what he meant by that. It didn't make any sense until now I have learned about the connections between the Walmarts and FEMA. And get this, Jay Wiedner who's done this brilliant expose about Stanley Kubrick having filmed the the the, the, the moon landings, uh, faking it all in return for financing for Space Odyssey, to, you know, 2001. Uh, Jay Wiener revealed that Sam Walton, who founded Walmart, was an Army intelligence officer and ran internment camps in, in the United States. I take it for Japanese internees, so... You know, during World War II. So that rather brings us full circle to why there'd be this close relationship between FEMA, FEMA camps, WalMarts, Sam Walton. It's all very, very disturbing. But it appears the government has given billions of dollars in subsidies to 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 Walmart. Hey Jim.
1: Uh, yeah. Um, let me give you a little intel that I just heard today. I, I've got. Uh, I, I live in Missouri, and I I, I have um, contacts. In uh, the Fort Leonard Wood area Yeah And there's been talks about uh, Possibly shutting that fort down Which I don't, I don't know why Because it's supposed to be One of the civilian detention areas But um, I was told today That approximately 12,000 troops Have been shipped out of Fort Leonard Wood And about 3,500 of them Are on some secret
4: project Well it's probably Jade Hill That's what I'm thinking so anyway, and, you know, they, Thank so, you. there are all these there are all these private prisons we don't know about. You know, the Republicans have been in privatization. Ronald Reagan was big on privatization, turning the, the elements of the government over to private contractors. That's a very bad, very detrimental to the people. You can't know they're being run properly that way. Plus, they have a profit motive that snaps in. Studies have shown that even administering a program like Social Security. It runs about a 2% overhead when the government does it, but it jumps to 12% when a private contractor does it because they want their 10% profit. All these profit-making facilities. Now, there are a whole bunch of private prisons in the country, and it appears they're they're recruiting for new personnel to run the private prisons in the expectation that they're going to have an infusion of new inmates. Holy crap. <laughs> wow. And they make products. They make products in these prisons, Fred. They make products that compete with ordinary so Jim, civilian Jim, jobs.
1: So the Walmart supply chain is global. And we're talking about facilities that could be turned, uh, based on the experience of Jade Helm, into detainee centers, supply centers, and uh, all they have to do is put a fence, a large fence around these places, right?
4: I think that's all true. Whether the circumstances would uh, would allow for it or we call for it in other countries, I can't say. But, yeah. you know, it may depend on the designs of the Walmarts. I always thought they were enormous. I couldn't understand the enormity of the Walmarts. Well, now we get this guy who's a contractor says he's been working on it, and they, they're putting in guard towers inside the Walmarts. They have four guard towers inside the Walmarts. That might explain for why they're such immense facilities. You know, they appear to have been erected to serve dual purposes, some military and some civilian. And whenever FEMA needs it for the military, they can take over any time.
2: Wow. Hey, Jim. Can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Uh, this is Ed in Dallas. Um, I, I uh, heard a long time ago, back in ninety ninety six. Somewhere around that 94, 96, something like that. I used to listen to wave radio all the time, and I heard this guy come on the on some program, and he was a a uh, manager of, of a Walmart, and he said one day uh, four trucks, four semi trucks came to his Walmart store, and the truck drivers. It was about noontime, and the truck drivers got out, came in, and told him, uh, said, "Look, we're going across the street to get." Get something to eat," he said. "We've got uh, four trucks out there, but he said two of them are going to unload here, but you're going but leave those other two alone. And so he he didn't understand that he didn't understand why you know there'd be two more trucks coming in there you know that he wasn't supposed to touch because usually you know any of the trucks that came into the Walmart were were unloaded there at that Walmart. So he said that. While the guys were over getting something to eat, he said he went to uh, we snuck out there and he peeked inside of those two trucks. And he said, and these were Walmart trucks, had Walmart on the side. And he said, from the from the back to the front, it was full of military equipment. So he shut it back up and uh, didn't let the guys know that he had peeked in there. But he he knew. Now I don't know where this was. I think it seems like he said it was in Arkansas, I believe. And he said that he knew where there was a huge, gargantuan warehouse for Walmart, uh, way out in the sticks. And he said he knew that, that almost n- nobody was ever there. So uh, on his day off, he went out there, snuck out there, to, uh, because of what he had found in those two trucks, he snuck out there and he peeked in the windows of that uh, big, huge warehouse. And he said every window that he looked in from as far as you could see, was nothing but a military equipment inside that that Walmart warehouse. So he finally realized that Walmart was actually nothing but a military operation, along with not only Walmart, but Home Depot, Target, and probably Kmart was was probably military, too. And so it's all been a military operation from the very beginning, uh, you know, starting with uh, Sam Walton. And anyway,
4: uh,
2: I thought that was interesting that he would well, say that. That's yeah, so yeah. Very, long very time distur- ago.
4: Very disturbing, very disturbing, yes, yes, yeah. yes. And, and uh,
2: the other thing I wanted to ask you was, uh, are you aware of the lieutenant general that was laid off uh, by, uh, I guess, the Obama administration? He was one of the ones that were, that forced him to retire early. Uh, I don't know his name. He didn't give his name as a matter of fact, but he wrote a, a an email to some uh somebody at some pap some uh media outlet uh on the internet, they he wrote an email and he he actually said that Jade Helm was actually a uh a real operation, that it was not a, a uh an exercise just an exercise. Yeah. But he did. But he did say this, and this is the important thing. And this is a question I wanted to ask you, since you were on the inside at one time. I don't know whether you would know now. And this is going might to be the last, the last.
1: This is the last question, sir. But go ahead.
2: Yeah, but but you could. But you might be able to find out from some uh, people that you at once knew on the inside. I don't know. But anyway, what he said was, tell me if this sounds correct. He said that, first of all, there are Russian troops in the country, but he said the Russian troops have t- have told him that, and he, he said he questioned several of them, and he said the Russian troops said they have no qualm against the American people and that if, if when this thing comes down, that they are going to stand down and leave. That's what they said, the Russian troops. Yes. He also He also said that, the, he questioned the the or the Marines had been questioned. All of the services had been had been questioned on on the point of whether they would shoot American people. Right. And he said the numbers are like this. He said ninety percent of the Marines say they will not shoot American citizens. That they will they will fight on the side of the American citizens. He said that sixty percent of the army. I
4: forgot of one
0: of them.
4: No, no, I know what you're talking about. 60% of the Army said they would not, and 70% of the National Guard said they would not, but 75% of the Air Force said they would. And the Navy said it would stand by on the outside to prevent any foreign intervention if this falls into a civil war. So I know well what you're talking about. You're exactly right.
1: Are we still there or not? Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, we're we're
4: still all here. I think he muted himself. Okay, I got out. I got muted. I got muted somehow. Okay. Well, did, did you hear it, what I said? I was just reporting the yeah, results. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a two thousand yeah, I didn't know if you were aware of that. That's a 2012 Pentagon study. Actually, I wanted to. Does that sound work correct? At... Yeah. Does that sound yeah. right to you? Yes. Yes.
2: Okay. Well, then, if that's the case, then it's gonna, they're going to have a hard time doing what they want to do then, because if we 've got them helping us they'll have their
4: equipment, and they'll instruct us what to do they'll help us take over their we'll their, find their out, tanks we'll, find and their out. we'll find out we'll find yeah. out when the rubber hits the road yeah but it's a it 's a very interesting aspect of this. The fact they were doing such a study, however, ought to be unnerving to every American why the Pentagon should be conducting a study to find out what percentage of the American armed forces could be counted on to fire on the American people. That ought a profound. Profoundly affect all of us
2: Yes, I know Well, the thing of it is uh, The only problem is is There will be no clarity As to who's who
3: You know, you kinds, won't know Who is
2: the enemy And who who's not
4: That's the problem There are all kinds of problems With any of it All of it So I'm glad yeah. we talked about it Fred, I can't hey guys, thank, thank you enough you For are, having we are, me
1: here. We, we are at the two-hour mark yep. Just wanted to uh, Jim, thank you so much For coming back on Guys the links to the purchase of the book on Amazon directly. Please pass them around. Jim's website, they're all in the newsletter. And uh, please, we'll have Jim back in the future. But, Jim, thank you so much again. Uh, pleasure, everyone, Fred. thank you for your your, uh, your attention, your questions. If anybody has any questions, feel free to just drop a line on the inbox, on the cover of the website. We'd be more than happy to pass connections along behind the scenes on your, on your on your behalf. Jim, thanks again.
4: My pleasure, Fred. Thanks all this week. Take care, guys. God bless. You too, Fred. Good night.
0: Thank Thank you. you. That's the A U N American Underground Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
3: Dearly
4: beloved, we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom?
3: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time.
2: (gasps)